0: Thanks for downloading or purchasing this sermon from Christchurch Forward. To find out more, visit forwardchurch.co.uk or join us on Sundays.
1: Our reading today is Psalm 49. Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, both low and high, rich and poor alike. My mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. I will turn my ear to a proverb, with the harp I will expound my riddle. Why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? No one can redeem the life of another, or give to God a ransom for them, the ransom for a life is costly, no payment is ever enough, so that they should live on forever and not see decay. For all I can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. Their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations though they had named lands after themselves. People, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep and are destined to die. Death will be their shepherd, but the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Do not be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases, for they will take nothing with them when they die. Their splendor will not descend with them. Though while they live they count themselves blessed, And people praise you when you prosper. They will join those who have gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. People who have wealth but lack understanding are like the beasts that perish.
0: Who needs to hear Psalm 49? Hear this, all you peoples. Listen, all who live in this world, here is a message the world needs to hear, whether you're Bahamian or Bangladeshi or British. If you live in this world, this psalm is for you, both low and high, rich and poor alike. It doesn't matter if you're rich or poor, noble or not, a, a local yokel or an urban elite, this psalm is for you. Verse three, my mouth will speak words of wisdom. The meditation of my heart will give you understanding. So do you want to be wise? Do you want to understand better how life works? Then this psalm is for you. Listen up. I will turn my ear to a proverb, verse four. With the harp, I will expound my riddle. Well, sadly, there's not going to be a harp today because my musical talent only extends to the triangle and I'm not very good at that either. But we are going to be looking at a proverb, a proverb and a riddle, a a, a proverb that contains a riddle. And if we can solve this riddle and get to the bottom of this proverb, then it will help us make more sense of life. Whoever you are, So, what is this proverb? What is this riddle that matters so much to everybody? Well, it's there in verse 12 and it's there in verse 20. Did you see it repeated? It's about wealth and it's about death. Verse 12. People, despite their wealth, do not endure, they're like the beasts that perish. The word for like here, like the beasts that perish, is is actually a, a word that shares a root in common with the word proverb, back at the beginning of the song. They are like the proverbial beasts that perish. This is the proverb that's being unpacked for us. And we get it again in verse 20. Verse 20, people who have wealth but lack understanding are like the proverbial beasts that perish. Wealth and death. Can you see then why this, why this might have relevance to everybody, whoever they are? I mean, money makes the world go round. So sang Liza Minnelli, that great sage of our age in a Cabaret. But it's true, isn't it? Isn't money always on everybody's minds? Uh, don't we all need it? And don't many of us live for it? And well, as for death, that might not be on our minds most of the time, but perhaps it should be, because we all have to face it. There's no escaping it. Wealth and death. Harder to think of two topics that could be more relevant to the whole world. And do you know what this psalm's going to do for us? It's going to say, if you want to understand the first of those topics rightly, if you want to get wealth right, then you need to think about it in relation to the second, in relation to death. It's only when you see that death devalues wealth that you can finally get wise to the true value of money. (laughs) You see, I guess we're all in danger, aren't we, of being deceived by riches into thinking they're more precious than they really are. But death devalues wealth because at death, at death, wealth proves utterly powerless. Verse 12, people, despite their wealth, do not endure. They are like the beasts that perish do not endure. Literally, it's a word that means they don't stay the night. Uh, Wealthy people in this world, they're like the neighbor that pops over for a brew, but they're not staying long, just in and out for a quick visit. That's what the rich are like. Here today, gone tomorrow. They're fleeting, they pass quickly. But, But did you see verse 20? They don't get it. Verse 20, they don't understand. And I guess you can understand why they wouldn't understand, can't you? Because don't riches make a person feel so solid, so well-established? No wonder they can't see themselves as just a beast that's perishing. Hard for the rich to understand their own true measure. And you know, the thing is, of course we often don't understand their true measure either, do we? You see, this is the riddle here. It's not simply the fact that rich people die. I mean, that's not some great sort of insight, is it? That's not the riddle. The riddle is the second half of verse 12, the second half of verse 20, that the wealthy are like the beasts that perish. Imagine... Imagine a sheep walked into this room. What would you do? Maybe you'd try and ignore it. If it started making a lot of noise and doing its business, you'd try and shoo it out, wouldn't you? But what about if, oh, I don't know. Well, we heard heard about Beyonce earlier. What about if Beyonce entered the room? Do you think you could stop yourself from turning your head and muttering to the person next to you, can you see who it is? It's Beyonce. Maybe you don't care about Beyonce. What about Barack Obama? Would that do it for you? You see, the the simple fact of the matter is we are impressed by the rich. We don't see them like beasts that perish. We don't. And so we find this, this view puzzling. It doesn't make sense to us, but we've got to make sense of it to actually make sense of wealth. We have to. Verse 12, the wealthy are like the beasts that perish. Verse 20, the wealthy are like the beasts that perish. Just sheep reared for slaughter. Animals appointed to the abattoir. I wonder how do you feel about rich people? Honestly, how do you feel about them? The psalms are so good for us, aren't they? Because the psalms are searingly honest. And you know, if the psalms are going to connect with our experience today and speak to us, then we need to get honest too. Honest with ourselves. How do you really feel, honestly, about rich people? Maybe you envy them. That's how I feel, honestly. Um, Well, you know that aspect of our attitude to the wealthy is addressed in Psalm 73. So at our current rate of going through the Psalms over the summers, we'll address that in four years' time. So I'll see you then. But this Psalm, Psalm 49, gives us, I think, well, an attitude to wealth that we all experience, but we don't often notice that we experience. We're not aware of it. Did you see it? Verse 5 Or verse 16, did you see it? Verse five, why should I fear when evil days come, when wicked deceivers surround me, those who trust in their wealth and boast of their great riches? You see, the son of Korah who wrote this psalm to lead God's people in true worship, he's having to persuade himself not to fear the godless rich, those who, he says, trust in their wealth. Instead, of course, of trusting in God. Do you see then, it's not simply those who have wealth who are being critiqued here, but especially people who trust in their wealth instead of trusting in the one who gave them their wealth, God. And do you know the same word for fear, it comes up again, verse 16. But you might not have noticed because there it's translated overawed. Verse 16, don't be overawed. When others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases, for they'll take nothing with them when they die; their splendor won't descend with them. And these two verses on fear, these uh, uh, two proverbs as well about the beasts that perish—they they split the main body of the psalm into two halves. Do you see? So verse five, I won't fear the rich, to verse twelve, they're just beasts that perish. Or verse sixteen, don't you fear the rich? To verse twenty. They're just beasts that perish. That's the structure. And verses 13 to 15 stand slightly apart and we'll come to those at the end. But can you see the logic here? Can you see the big thrust? The big attitude that's being confronted is fear. Being in awe of the rich. Now what is this fear? What does it look like in practice well, I know we've all forgotten about him because of the events of the last 18 months, but do you remember Donald Trump? Let's think about the range of responses that we saw uh, to his presidency. Some people were persuaded that he was the man for the most powerful job in the world because they were impressed by the fact he'd made billions. They were in awe of him in a positive sense. Others were afraid of the damage that he could do because of his alleged lust for self-enrichment at the expense of others. They feared that he would exploit and harm fear in a negative sense. But love him or hate him, whether you were delighted by him or dismayed, the whole world talked about him, thought about him as a man that mattered. Do you see? That's the sort of basic idea here putting somebody in a pedestal, thinking they're a big beast, a big player, when in fact they're just a beast that will perish. Do you see then this fear is complex? Sometimes it's anxiety about the harm the rich can do to us in exploiting us. Other times it's awe of people being impressed by them and actually wanting to learn learn from them. Because we think if we can learn from them, maybe we can get rich like they have. Did you see that in verse 13? It's really striking. Verse 13. This is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. Have you heard of Warren Buffett? I don't know where he is in the rich list these days. I think he's still top 10, isn't he? Um, A very, very wealthy billionaire investor. And he's known as the oracle of Omaha. They call him a prophet, an oracle. And people spend hours poring over the words that pour from his mouth, trying to delve deep into his sayings to glean some wisdom from him so that they too can become like him. They're impressed by him. They fear him in a positive sense, you see? So don't be confused by this word fear. It's not just negative feelings that the psalmist is trying to correct here. And of course, it's also not just our culture that struggles with seeing riches rightly. Isn't it striking how relevant this psalm for us is for us? Do you know, actually, in the ancient world, riches were taken as a sign and seal of divine blessing. Did you notice in verse 18? Verse 18, though while they live, they count themselves, did you see? They count themselves blessed. And of course, people praise you when you prosper, the verse goes on. You you see, it looks like riches seem to be a sign that you've won God's favor. That's what the ancients thought. And so very easy then for people to go around praising the rich. God loves them. Well, they must be wonderful. Now, let's be clear. Riches are always a gift from God. They're given by him. But they're not necessarily a sign of his blessing. Though they can be, can't they? Think of Abraham and Job. But the ancient world, it didn't get that nuance, did it? Riches equal blessing, full stop. Riches make a person, verse 18, worthy of praise. And so we all need persuading. All of us, throughout all of history, all over the world, whoever we are, we all need persuading that actually riches aren't that impressive. They aren't a good measure of the true worth of a person. Now, in both halves of the psalm, verses 5 to 12 and 16 to 20, the the psalmist unpacks for us how powerless wealth is when you die. Let's look at verse 7. Verse 7. No one can redeem the life of another or give to God a ransom for them. The ransom for a life is costly. No payment is ever enough so that they should live on forever and not see decay. This redeem or ransom language in verse 7, it's taken straight from the Exodus and the sacrifice that was paid there for the Israelites' escape from Egypt. But there is no sacrifice, no payment you can make to escape death. I wonder if you recognize this teaching. Do you recognize it if you've read Mark's gospel, perhaps? Because, of course, Jesus teaches this psalm in Mark's gospel. What does it profit a man to gain the whole world but lose his life? Or what can a man give in exchange for his life? That's what Jesus taught. And he was teaching Psalm 49. Can you see? Um, Do the younger people here still, have you heard of the Beatles? You heard of the Beatles? Yeah, wonderful, okay. Do you know the Beatles song, Money Can't Buy You Love? Well, do you know, actually, the psalmist questions that here, doesn't he? He says money can buy you a certain kind of love. It can gather followers to you who are impressed by you, who hang on your words, who think you're great. But what the Beatles could have said with more certainty is that money can't buy you life. Do you know, it was a radical thought back then, perhaps not so radical for us now, but certainly for them back then, because the ancients really thought that amassing money in this life had a direct influence on your experience of the afterlife. Uh, They thought that if you spent great wealth on religious rituals and sacrifices and ransoms, then it would change what life was like for you after you died. They thought they could... Literally take money with them. That's why the pharaohs were buried with their wealth, because they thought it would go with them Uh, and make for a more comfortable experience in the afterlife. Do you see how the psalmist cuts the link between riches in this life and your experience of the afterlife? Verse 10. All can see that the wise die, that the foolish and the senseless also perish, leaving their wealth to others. It doesn't go with you. You leave it behind when you die. Now, of course, we here, we think, don't we, oh, how naive all these ancient people were, thinking that wealth could go with them through death. How daft. Well, maybe they were daft. But at least they were actually facing up to death, At least they were actually trying to do something about it. I mean, aren't we more naive? Because we live just ignoring it. Just pretending it's not really happening. They at least use their wealth to try to make the best of death. We use our wealth to bury ourselves in stuff. To forget about the day of our burial. We blow our holiday budgets on exotic destinations, all the while trying to distract ourselves from our ultimate destination death. Death strips the wealthy of everything. It always has and it does today. And no matter how big your bank account, no matter how stupendous your property portfolio, the only thing you're left with in the end is verse 11 their tombs will remain their houses forever, their dwellings for endless generations, though they had named lands after themselves. Of course, nowadays, it's not the done thing, and rightly so, to name lands after ourselves. So we just name real estate instead, don't we? Trump Tower, the Blavatnik building. Sometimes we name Hoovers the Dyson. But you don't need a tower. You don't need a Hoover (laughs) When you die, do you know what you need? A little patch of ground. Six foot by two. Verse 16 and 17 pick up the same point. Did you see verse 16? Don't be overawed when others grow rich, when the splendor of their houses increases, for they will take nothing with them. Nothing. When they die. The splendor won't go down with them. Again, the ancient audience uh, having this link cut between wealth and death. You can't buy passage to a luxury existence in the underworld. And for us, we find a call to face up to death and how it devalues our wealth. Do you know all that awaits the godless rich is darkness? Check out verse 18. Is chilling. Though while they live, they count themselves blessed, and people do praise you when you prosper. Verse 19, they will join those who've gone before them, who will never again see the light of life. The Bible often compares the death of those who don't know God to a darkness filled with eternal regret. Notice not a darkness without consciousness, but the gloom of a dungeon that never ends. And that should be enough to make us shudder. And we would shudder if we'd actually contemplate these things more, as the scriptures call us to. Don't fear the godless rich They're only beasts that perish. Look, if darkness is the fate of Beyonce and Mackenzie Bezos, if indeed they trust in their money, I don't know where they stand before God, but if they do and they don't trust in their maker, then for all their millions, all their billions, there's no reason to be in awe of them or impressed by them or influenced by them. Instead, we should pity them and I think this is a really important point as we try and apply all this. Because you could get the impression, couldn't you, that the psalmist and I despise rich people. But that would be ironic in my case because, um, well, I'm, I'm pretty affluent. <laughs> and of course, did you notice, we don't find out whether this psalmist is poor or rich. There's no clues. He could be rich. You see, there's nothing wrong with being rich, It's not being rich that the psalmist is trying to combat, but fearing the rich. Measuring a person's value by their assets. That's what he's got a problem with. Don't measure a person by their possessions. You know, Jesus was more than happy to associate closely with rich people as his friends and supporters. We hear of several rich women in The Gospel of Luke, Luke 8, verse 3, if you want to look later. Joanna and Susanna, who provided for him out of their means and funded his ministry. Nothing wrong with being rich. Let's not swing from fearing the rich to despising them. And we don't need to self-flagellate if we ourselves are wealthy, as if having riches were wrong. It's not. It's not owning riches that's wrong. But letting them become, well... How we define people, including ourselves, that's what's wrong. No, we shouldn't despise the rich in here, nor should we despise the rich out there. They're all people, we're all people made in God's image. Do you remember what Jesus did when he met the rich young man in Mark's gospel? Just a little bit after he was teaching on Psalm 49. Do you you remember what he did? He looked at him and loved him. And because he loved him, he did all that he could to help this rich young man stop worshipping his wealth instead of worshipping God and stop measuring himself by his money rather than by whether he really worshipped God or not. That's the loving thing to do when you meet a rich person. And that's what the sons of Korah are doing here as they lead us in worship of the true God by combating the false worship of money. And look, aren't aren't we here in West Sheffield, right in the midst of the the very same danger as that rich young man in Mark's gospel? One of you said to me yesterday, let's face it, Fulwood is a very affluent area. And the big thrust of this psalm is, don't be overawed by rich people. But maybe we need to hear Come on, guys. We're not special just because we're wealthy. We're not. As wealthy people, we get so used to receiving deference, don't we? And respect simply because of the markers of our wealth. Our check shirts and chinos, our gold rings. Three check shirts just in the row in front of me here. it's, It's the forward uniform. When we pull up in our expensive cars, we expect to be treated properly. Because we're people of importance. Of course we are. Look at our possessions. How wrong? How wrong? And if we think that way, then actually, spiritually, we are very poor. Do you know there is a better way to find significance than in our salaries? or our final salary pensions. It's not our belongings that should define us, but to whom we belong. Belonging to God. You see, now we come right to the heart of the Psalm, verses 13 to 15, where the Psalmist actually shows us two fates, not just the fate of the godless rich, but also the fate of the godly believer. And boy, does it speak a better word than being wealthy. (laughs) Verse 13, this is the fate of those who trust in themselves and of their followers who approve their sayings. They are like sheep destined to die. Death will be their shepherd. Do you see how this flips on its head the way we often think about the wealthy? Uh, Wealth opens doors, said Shakespeare. Shakespeare. He didn't actually say that. What he actually said was, if money go before, all ways do lie open. But it amounts to the same thing, doesn't it? Money opens doors. We think wealth allows the wealthy to plot their own course through life, to be the masters of their own fate, when all along, they're just sheep being shepherded by death. All the wisdom they have to share with us on prosperity and success and life, it all amounts to... That's it. Verse 14 continues. But the upright, the upright will prevail over them in the morning. Their forms will decay in the grave, far from their princely mansions. But God will redeem me from the realm of the dead. He will surely take me to himself. Isn't that spectacular? Here is one of the clearest statements of faith in the Old Testament about what awaits believers beyond the grave, and it's beautiful. And now the psalmist, of course, is is not clear here, is he, on how God can redeem him from death. Who's paying the price for that? But he knows that God will, because he knows that he belongs to God, that God will take him to be with him. Here's what should really define a life whether God will take that life for his own, forever, beyond the grave. That's what counts. That's the measure of a life. And how much more should we grasp this? Because we do know how it is possible for God to redeem us because we know the very one who asked, as we've heard, what can a man give in exchange for his life? and then himself provided the answer. I came to give my life as a ransom for many. Let's pray together that God would help us get a true measure of ourselves in the light of his teaching. Father God, may all of us here all of us watching at home and many besides in our our community know the ransom of the Lord Jesus that redeems us from death and makes our lives truly meaningful because it buys us for you forever. Please protect us from the deceitfulness of riches, we pray. Have mercy upon us in the name of Christ. Amen.